Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, a semi-friendly discussion between two blokes on watches, cars, and everything in between. Now, here are your hosts, Tommy and Sanjeev. Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, episode 48, House of Tudor. House of Tudor, off with their heads. Yes, that's right. I mean, are we talking about the the dynasty or are we talking about watches here? We're talking about watches, obviously. Uh, so today is actually a belated new watch alert uh, episode. Uh, so obviously, if you've been following the Instagram, uh, you've noticed that a Tudor Black Bay GMT has entered the mix. So I uh, really just wanted to share kind of my uh, thoughts on the whole uh you know brand and kind of the watch and then i think we also wanted to talk about the other other tutor news uh that's, that's kind right of breaking the internet that's the tutor pelagos 39 um but you know before the pelagos 39 obviously you know let's let's get back into the black bay um so you know what's the whole black bay story here so you know tutor as a line was kind of getting stale in the early 2000s in 2009 they kind of reinvented the line and released the black bay which um which really is their kind of heritage line. So it's it's really where they can kind of do their, you know, quote unquote throwback watches um, to kind of celebrate uh, older older Tudor models and older, older let's face it, older classic Rolex, you know, which uh, which the Tudor modern lineup, you know, doesn't do or, or you know, doesn't have the latitude to do. Um, so, you know, let's say, you know, that 2009 reinvention, um, it took till 2018 for them to, you know, go the G- GMT route. So, you know, the GMT complication, the Pepsi, the classic GMT Pepsi, uh, Black Bay came out in 2018. Um, it obviously does not reference a prior Tudor release, right? It, it, it references from a design perspective, the Rolex GMT Master Series itself. Um, yeah. So like the, I, I, we l- reviewed this watch, you know, when it came out, I think, was it, like uh was it at the basel world was it when it was announced or something like that memory serves me right i mean this would have been in 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 a very early episode of the podcast so you know yeah and we were both taken aback and said wow this is fantastic and um you know this is a great throwback to what the gmt master used to be yes and 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 the things that i liked about it back then were the muted kind of bezel, um, you know, it, it gave off the feel of like the, those old aluminum bezels. Um, from a design perspective, it's it's very consistent with the GMT Master line from Rolex as far as the actual dial. Um, obviously, with the hands, you've got the Snowflake um, GMT hand and also the Hour hand. So obviously, you know, they got to keep something Tudor. Um, but in, in a lot of ways, it was very, you know, consistent and and quite attractive um they were calling back to old old rolex without making it too obvious um and they were doing it in a way that the modern rolex gmts you know don't or can't do um so i thought it was kind of unique and and it brought something different to the table um what was your i don't remember what was your kind of takeaway i i think it's the same uh, same reasoning of what you just brought up is that yeah you know it was uh, a nice spin on a throwback but fully modernized yeah and yeah i just like the bezel of this I, I, that's a key element of design as well as keeping the snowflake hands you know keeping it uniquely tutor but you know using the throwback of what the gmt master once was 
Right, right. And 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 you know it's it's key to point out that the Black Bay line is self-referential, but in this case, you know, not to a Tudor actual model. It, it references the Rolex line. Um, but you know, let's get some technical things out of the way. So it's got 200 meters water resistance, 660 feet. It's a 41 millimeter stainless steel case, 15 millimeters tall. So look, you know, I think both um, both you and I have noted that Tudor kind of wears a little bit tall or kind of presents a little bit tall compared to Rolex. Um, yeah, so, so the 15 millimeter thickness, that was actually a little bit surprising um, to me because when I've, I've worn a Black Bay GMT and it feels slim. I don't know how to put it. You know, it, it definitely wears smaller than a 15 millimeter watch. Um, yeah, I mean, it wears, I, I got to say, they've contoured the lugs in a way. And what they've done is that they've actually, at the edges of the lugs, um, have uh, some finishing work that reflects the light a little bit more. So what they've really done is visually kind of try to break up the height, you know. So you you definitely do have that slab side case that, you know, Tudor's kind of known for now. But at the same time, I think they're kind of understand that they couldn't just have it, you know, 90 degrees. They, they did take some efforts to kind of tone that down a little bit. Um, but, you know, no hiding the fact that it is a little bit tall. 15 millimeters is something that, you know, you will notice. Um, but I think the visual impact of that, you know, they've really taken some work to kind of minimize that as much as possible. Um, yeah. The dial is matte black. Um, and as I mentioned, the, the, the Pepsi color line for the bezel is a less, less bold. It doesn't pop like like the Rolex GMTs, it, it's kind of a more appropriate for a tool watch, in my opinion, right? It's, it's less of a, it's less of a um, kind of luxury statement piece. It's more of a, of a tool watch. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nothing against, let's say the, the GM, the current GMT master too, no, because it's a, very no, it's a beautiful watch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think it's a bit more jewel like in aesthetic and application because, you know, it is marketed at a higher price point than the, black page gmt right yes yeah and and yeah like i said it's it's more of a luxury watch this is i think a little bit more of closer to the tool watch origins of that whole line so that's what i find attractive uh not to mention keeping twenty thousand dollars in my pocket <laughs> yeah <laughs> which, which is very helpful uh you know for me um but i think what's most interesting is what's beating on the inside right so um you know Already for some time, Rolex, you know, back in the day, Tudor used to carry the ETA movements, right? So you'd have the Rolex right. cases and design, but, you know, you'd have the ETA movement on the inside. So that's how they could offer it at a cheaper price point. And that's kind of the differentiator, um, you know, between Rolex and Tudor. Uh, you know, over the years, that's actually kind of been blurred, right? Because now they don't even use ETA movements. They're, you know, Rolex has brought the movements for Tudor in-house. So specifically for the Black Bay GMT, uh, they've put in the MT5652 movement. Um, this this thing beats at 28,800 vibrations per hour. It's a non it's got a mag non-magnetic silicone balance spring. It's got 70 hour power reserve, uh, which is awesome for me because that means I don't have to wear this watch every day. I can put it in the rotation and when I pick it up, it's generally still ticking. So it's just pretty awesome. Um, and that 70 hour power reserve is cost certified. Um, yeah, which is amazing. I mean, you, you it's 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 quite a bit of a powerhouse uh pun intended um right. that uh that you have a lot uh highly accurate movement but also one that is 70 hours yeah no it cost certified 
And the interesting thing is the GMT movement here is designed not as an afterthought. It is not an add-on. Um, it's fully integrated into the movement. So this is a specific GMT movement that's been designed um, for Tudor. And I just want to jump a little bit. Um, there's a great um, website here talking about the actual movements that are used uh, by Tudor um, and kind of jump a little bit in. I think it's useful for people to understand what's happened with Tudor over the years, right? So as I mentioned, back in the day, they were using ETA movements to kind of differentiate Tudor from Rolex. That changed in 2015. The company began producing a line of uh, what it called manufactured Tudor movements uh, for certain models. They began with the caliber MT5621 um, based on Rolex technology, includes the company's you know, silicon hairspring technology, full balance bridge, uh, full sprung microstella balance wheel. I mean, you're getting Rolex technology at a, at a much lower price point, uh, which makes Tudor you know, really a very different a, a value proposition from what it used to be in the 90s right where you were oh yeah no absolutely i yeah. mean like it's small things like the the balance spring it's it's a very hard thing to do even though it looks so simple to look you know yeah to look at it very hard to manufacture and get the tolerances right and that two silicon balance spring it's another level because yeah. a it's anti-magnetic so it's it's less prone to you know magnetic interference which right. will affect the, the accuracy of the watch. And look, you know, as much as we give Rolex a hard time, oh, you know, they don't change things year to year. From a technical standpoint, they 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 are at the cutting edge or if not very close to the cutting edge, you know? And yeah, I mean, we're not talking about like, you know, like finishing or, you know, uh, you know, uh, and, and polishing, you know, it's, it's looks, when you look at it, it looks like a very um basic looking movement you know no perlages no beveling and all that but it's meant to provide a function of delivering high accuracy in all sorts of conditions you know right but what, 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 what the I'm, tool watch side of it yeah but what i'm saying is i think that the you know whereas you know we we give rolex a tough time for saying oh year on year they're not they're not changing much they're they're putting the crown on the left side and suddenly charging a lot of money but on the technical side, uh, on when when it comes to their movements, when it comes to their materials technology, they are at the cutting edge, you know. And right, right, yeah. I mean, they do a lot of things in house, and they do a lot of R and D. Yeah, it's, I mean, almost everything is. So you know, for them to offer that to customers by going through Tudor, where you don't have to pay the Rolex premium, I think is really an amazing value proposition, right? I mean, you're getting access to that technology without having to go through the Rolex ring, ring world, you know? Um, so I, I don't, I, I don't know if Tudor is still one of the best well-kept secrets in, in watches. Um, but, you know, frankly, I don't know how people aren't buying more Tudors, you know, for, for the price. Uh, I don't know how you can beat it. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, so we don't know the sales of Tudor. Maybe they're just, oh, you know, constantly increasing i don't know to be honest no, with you. I, I'm, I'm sure they're doing fine sales wise i'm saying among the watch community i i don't know if if it's sunk in at, at how much of a good value proposition tutor has right i mean right i mean part of the i mean we're not helping at all with this podcast because you're always promoting seiko <laughs> <laughs> well you know hey look seiko has its own in-house kind of you know uh technical uh, edge there, you know, and I, I think what what you're getting here is equivalent to Grand Seiko technology at presage prices. You know, I mean that that's kind of how I would think about what yeah. Tudor brings to the table, right? So um, no, I mean, that's fair. I mean, yeah. it is uh, when, from a 
high-end Swiss watch point of view, it is a real value proposition. It's a fantastic value proposition, you know? And um, so just to finish up the movement, so in 2016, Tudor founded a new movement producer called Kinesi, um, which was managed by the head of Tudor, uh, a gentleman from Breitling in the past, and another gentleman. So they've produced a new factory owned on land uh, by Rolex, um, and, uh, you know, they've, they've gotten partners, whether that be Chanel or Breitling or Norcane. Um, but this is the movement producer, uh, going forward, you know, Kinesi movement. So, um, you know, Tudor really is its own thing. Now, uh, I think a lot of people have a memory of Tudor from the early 2000s and nineties where it was Rolex's poor cousin. Um, look, you know, no one is pretending that a Tudor is a Rolex. It, it's not, you know, it's, it doesn't pretend to even do that. I think what you're getting is really uh, a sliver of technology and design that uh, is at a different price point and I think offers something different. You know, I mean, Rolex can't really do uh, a vintage throwback anymore. Like it, there's nowhere in the line for that to really happen, right? Uh, but Tudor can, you know, and I think, I think that's a lot of people, especially people like me, are very attracted to that. So yeah, I mean, I mean, Rolex is pretty siloed on their core models, right? They can't really go ahead and 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 go splash, unless it's like say the Oyster Perpetual. Right, watches. they can play there, but they're 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 desirable sports models. Like they're not going to do a throwback GMT. Like it, it's just you know it's not within the wheelhouse to do that, right? They they yeah. push the design forward. Um, so that's where Tudor gets in, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh, one thing I would say with regards to the watch, it did come with a, with a really good bracelet. Uh, the rivet bracelet, it, the, the issue with that is it's, it's a bit thick. In my opinion, it's a bit heavy. Um, and I couldn't get a perfect kind of fit for myself. I really liked the Tudor Shield clasp. Um, I, I thought it was a beautiful looking bracelet, but I couldn't get a very good fit. And I found it to be a bit heavy. So what I did was I kind of uh, bought myself a Forstner uh, Jubilee bracelet. So they've got something called a Model J, uh, built built for Tudor forty one millimeter models. Um, it's it's uh, you can completely uh, has screwed in links so you can adjust it yourself, um, and it's a very very comfortable. And I think it looks awesome. It has the same kind of visual appeal as the Rolex Jubilee uh, that come you know with the GMT Master. Um, so if you want to kind of get the feel of a GMT Master. Um, down to the bracelet, I think I couldn't, you know, recommend the Forstner Model J uh, any more than that. Um, so if you see any pictures of, of my tutor on uh, on the Instagram website, it'll be in the Forstner, and that's what uh, that's I think the best way to wear it, in my opinion. So you saved twenty thousand dollars and got yourself a watch to look like what the current <laughs> GMT Master has. Well, I mean, there's some, uh, you know, I. I don't know. I, I mean, like your way of thinking. I, I don't you know, know if you tried. I don't know if you tried a Jubilee bracelet. They're really comfortable. I, um, I I'm I'm seeing the Forstner Model J and it looks really really comfortable. Is it a bit jingly or is it very like? No, it it looks like tonic slab. It's, it's it's solid. It's solid. Um, but it's much lighter. It does taper a lot more than the actual um bracelet that Tudor gave you. So, um, it's very very comfortable because it tapers down. I, I don't want to say off the top of my head, but, you know, obviously the lugs are 22. So, you know, the, the Tudor lugs are a bit, bit wide, um, but I think the Forster bracelet tapers to 18, if memory serves me right. So that makes it a really comfortable wear, you know, on the wrist, you, you, you barely feel it. It, it. And 
with the screwed in links and the micro adjust on the clasp that Forstner has, you can basically get a perfect fit. And I yeah, and that's one thing I got to compliment these, the, this particular um, bracelet from Forstner. I mean, screwed in links is, is killer. Um, sure. I have it on the, uh, the Fortis and it's, it's, it's so much easier than Skin has else. it too. Yeah. And it, it's so smart. I don't understand why everyone doesn't do it. Uh, I mean, those screws are tiny and there's a lot of manufacturing that goes into it. So it's more expensive. But sure. to be honest with you, the Forstner Model J I'm on the website, it's only $165. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I think if you if you got a Tudor Black Bay GMT or any of the Tudor 41 millimeter models, you've got to get a Model J Forstner. I think... Yeah. I think that, you know, it's it's a given um, because it's so damn comfortable. And Tudor's own rivet bracelet, you know, in, in my opinion, um, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. I could never get a good fit. Uh, even yeah, though I took that clasp, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get a good fit. And the rivets on the side, I, that's the one downfall I have with this they, they They are faux rivets. So even worse, uh, you are not the first person to, to, to notice that. So um, why did they do that? Because it looks vintage. Um, you Is know. it maybe because it's like a, maybe a haul callback to, you know, riveting on the fuselage of a plane? Maybe. No, I, I mean, if memory serves me right, I, I it's a callback to old bracelets. I mean, okay. that's how it used to be, if memory serves me right. Um, but, you know, yeah, like I said, you know, who, who wants that? Who needs that? Um, it's not for me. Um, but I, I got to tell you, if you, if you get the Tudor 41 millimeter models, especially the Black Bay GMT, get the Forstner, call it a day. You, you won't, you won't be upset. So that's the Black Bay GMT. I'm very pleased with it. Um, they've oh. obviously iterated off the line. They've done a root beer, if memory serves me right. Uh, um, but you know, I, I don't think there's a better value for the GMT out there than the Tudor, in my opinion. Which I wanted to bring up. So when you were on the hunt, your original um, thought was to get a regular Black Bay, right? You wanted a tutor, and you just wanted a regular Black Bay. If I'm, memory serves me right. Um, I yeah, I mean, I I love the Black Bay line, you know. And for me, I think what what it wasn't going to be a regular Black Bay; it'd be a Black Bay thirty nine, right. Um, basically they're they're slightly smaller version uh because the 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 original black bay line is the is the 41 millimeter which is the same size as the black bay gmt um and then they made a a smaller uh size of equivalent of of the of the blue dial and the black dial um just the straight divers so i found that very attractive so for me it was really a decision between getting one of the smaller sized divers versus getting the bigger GMT. And, right. And yeah. I, I think we went back and forth. And we I did. Was like, yeah. You kind of pushed me where the, the value GMT. proposition comes in, really. I mean. Yeah. I, I mean, the GMT, I think, is such a great complication. And you're getting a watch with 200 meters water resistance. So, you know, from a value perspective, obviously, you should go for the GMT. <laughs> it was only a few. Was it a few hundred dollars more? Uh, if memory serves me right, yeah, you know, I, I I obviously did mine on the secondary market through a watch dealer, so um, you know, I, I'm not talking retail here, um, but when push came to shove, it it the price wasn't a huge difference, 
I think really what comes to what what's the game change for people is whether they're comfortable with the 41 millimeter watch, right? With a 22 millimeter lug. And for me, that was really the concern. It, it you know, I think Tudor, if it released a 39 millimeter GMT, it would be like a game over, you know? Um, but I'm having said that, like I said, even the 41 millimeter that I have, wears very comfortably, you know, they've done a lot of smart things from a design perspective to make it visually uh, less slabby uh, and, uh, and to wear thinner and it's comfortable. And if you, if you swap out the bracelet, you would never know that you were wearing a bigger watch, uh, honestly. I mean, I can't wait for you to try it so you can see it for yourself. It's, it's really amazing what they were able to do just by design. Yeah, no, I've had the pleasure. I think the one thing that caught my eye was it felt light. Um, yeah. Uh, then yeah. again, anything feels lighter than my Fortis, um, but it, it definitely had a nice feel and, and lightness to it, which I was surprised. Yeah, no, no, the watch itself, the watch head itself is not heavy. Um, so if you swap it out or put it, you know, put it on a NATO or put it on leather, I mean, you would forget you're wearing a watch. Um, and it, it, it's beautiful. I mean, I, I think the design is done so well and tastefully. Um, you know, I, I can't fault anything that they did. Um, it, it's really attractive. Yeah. I know you really want the Cyclops eye. I, that's, that's... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad it didn't come with the Cyclops eye. The interesting <laughs> thing is from a, from a, from a branding perspective, the Tudor shield is on the dial, but the Tudor rose is on the crown. Um, I actually like the, uh, the Tudor rose on the I crown. I do too. Yeah, I do too. I actually kind of wish they would, they would just do the rose everywhere. Uh, no, no, I actually like the way they they went about because you know they have you know, the, the new modern. Branding. Sorry, you like the split branding? Yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah. I mean, it, what was actually interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's the older Tudor subs, right? Because Tudor had their own Submariner. Yes. Uh, and this is you know, going back to how you said that the only key differences was that. Rolex used cheaper movements on their watches and relabeled them as Tudors. I think with the older Tudor subs, like you can get, like say the crown, still having like a Rolex marking. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. But yeah, it's still a, a models. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a Tudor, but you're essentially getting a, uh, you know, the chassis and everything. I'm just speaking in terms of car speak here is you know basically a corvette but let you know um you're getting instead a a, a v6 instead of a v8 yeah, yeah. I, I mean the parts were largely inter interchangeable in some of these models so you know that was something that you know if you went for a service you may come back with a Rolex crown or whatever you know um but yeah you know i i think more people should look into tudor i think you know i i, I don't know why more people aren't focusing on tudor um I think it's kind of similar to, you know, it's the poor man's Rolex sort of thing, but I think Tudor does a lot of interesting things and you're getting kind of the best of Rolex technology for a much cheaper price, you know? And, and um, we talked about it a few times. I think when we reviewed the, what was it? The Tudor Black Bay Pro? Was that the one that just came out recently? That looked like the Black the Bay Pro Rolex Explorer, Explorer 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The original um, Explorer 2. Um, yes. And we talked about it is Rolex, you know, I'm sorry, is Tudor going this kind of like Rolex throwbacks, um, but in their own style? I, in some well, cases, yeah. Yeah, but I think that, that sits within the Black Bay line, you know, and I think that's fine because there is a modern Tudor line as well. And I think that's what we're going to talk about next, right? 
Yes, that's what we're going to talk about. And the, the, the next watch that we're going to talk about is the recent uh, Tudor Pelagos 39. Yeah. And um, before I go on and blabber about the Pelagos 39, I thought we'll just talk a little bit of the Tudor Pelagos line itself. And there's a nice reference on bobwatches.com that gives a very concise history of it. But the Pelagos was introduced in 2012, and it was uh, set up as a and, and designed as a highly capable dive watch. And to me, like a very original design by Tudor. So, yes. you know, they kind of took elements of their earlier dive watches, such as the snowflake hands and and the markers, the square marker, our markers, but they came up with a design that was a bit more not callback to earlier Rolexes or Tudors or that sense. It was something a bit it's original. Thing. Yeah, no, I agree. It's its own thing. And I, and I think it's, it's actually really attractive. You know, um, I really liked the, the Pelagos. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and it was, you know, a really a ground up design and it, it is a very capable dive watch. And we were talking about a watch that is water resistant to 500 meters and has a helium escape valve for such the for such depth rating but the key thing one of the key things within the rolex and tudor line um is that it has a titanium case yeah and it's the only model in the let's say the rolex empire rolex slash tudor empire that uses a titanium case and and bracelet if i'm not mistaken okay and that really helps with the with the wearing of the watch because it's a fairly big watch of 42 millimeters yeah. but being titanium it is significantly lighter and it came in several iterations and it also came you know so you have the pelagos with the black dial and then you have a pelagos with the blue dial and the blue bezel yeah but also that was the let's say the lhd so the, the left hand version of it basically the Destro. So it came up with an iteration that even before the Submariner Destro came out, which was, I think, this year, right? So for, for the normal people on the podcast, what's a Destro? So Destro is basically the crown is on the nine o'clock position versus the three o'clock position. Yeah. It's okay. meant for those who are left handed. So I think you wear it on your right hand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that came out in 2016. So, as we just talked about earlier, in regards to the movement, the first iteration of the Pelagos came with an ETA-based 2824 yeah. uh, movement. Obviously, Tudor modified it a little bit. But then, as you mentioned, um, they went in-house. And I believe that happened in 2015 or maybe 2016 with yeah, the no, Cal Caliber MT5612. And yeah, we just talked about it for the exactly. The so it's got the same specs. I mean, the only disadvantage is that it increased the thickness of the watch from thirteen point eight to fourteen point three. Yeah, but um, you know, you're getting something that's a way more capable uh, watch in that sense. So the one key bit with the Pelagos, like I said, it was you know a full out dive watch highly capable is that and this was a little bit news to me was the amount of engineering that went into the bracelet yeah so it was a highly 
complex bracelet where it has the ability to, um, you know, if you're going diving, it had the ability to secure it using several springs and 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 levers to to kind of. I I don't know how to put it, but basically, the clasp can be fixed in one of three settings. Yeah, and which helps with the fitting, and it was able to self-regulate while underwater. So. As the diver's wetsuit compresses with increased pressure, the deeper they go, the spring-loaded, there's a spring-loaded system that automatically compensates and tightens the bracelet. Wow. Yeah, it's killer. That's awesome. And so, yeah, you know, and and the the, one of the cool things, like I was saying, is that it's a fully ground-up design by Tudor. And to the listeners out there who haven't, seen or or come across the Tudor Pelagos, it's got this matte look. So the bezel is very matte, even though it's ceramic. The the case, there's very little polishing to the case. It's mostly matte, A, because it's titanium. But B, I think it's a purposeful look to it. And going to now the Pelagos 39, the there has been some aesthetic changes, but I guess the biggest thing is the reduction is in, in size from to a 39 millimeters. And and that is a very attractive size because it's yeah. more fitting for, especially for wrists like you and I, we have yeah. really tiny wrists. Um, embarrassingly, it's just embarrassing to us. But... Speak to yourself, but yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the thickness is dramatically reduced to around, I believe, 12 millimeters. And... Which, Which is killer really because, pretty. yeah, yeah, you know, we're talking about two millimeters difference here of reduction, but that that can have a big impact on how it fits on your wrist. Yeah, uh, I believe the um, the Seiko SPB three one seven, the new thinnest Prospex diver. Yeah, it's twelve point three millimeters thick. So yeah, that's kind of the realm of where this. Tudor 39 sits, which I think is amazing that you could get such a capable watch for so, you know, uh, diminutive of size. Yeah. I mean, there are sacrifices, which I'm going to come to, to achieve this reduction in size in both case dimensions and also thickness. Um, so aesthetically, you know, it still carries the, the aesthetic of the Pelagos. Um, if you look at it, you can instantly tell that it's 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 coming from the Pelagos line. Yeah. So you have the square R markers and the um the snowflake hands, and the indicator at the twelve o'clock is an inverted triangle. But there's some key differences, and the one thing that you notice with the Pelagos it thirty nine is it looks flatter if you look at the dial. Okay. So if you compare the Pelagos dial to that of the let's say i call it the og um pelagos you notice there's like a chapter ring that goes around the pelagos that kind of cuts in around the um every hour marker so it gives it like a bit of a 3d look okay Mm -hmm. but if you look at the pelagos 39 that's like the chapter ring that's only surrounding the just the minute markers on the very edge so it gives it a more flatter look Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a small design thing, but I, I I me personally, I prefer the let's say the original Pelagos look. It gives it a bit of depth and, and character to it. More okay. technicality in design. 
And also absent is that there is no date complication. Well, that's great. Okay. And to me, it actually, actually is a bit of a bonus because it gives it a real symmetrical look. To me, yeah, I agree. And also, I mean, the markers look 3D to me. I mean, are they flat or are they three-dimensional? I believe they're applied. Um, they are applied loom to that. I don't think in the same sense of, like, say, the Black Bay, um, where you have, I believe, like a, a, a metal surrounding on each hour marker, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Or am I thinking Rolex GMT here? Uh, well, I'll just speak for the Black Bay GMT. There is there is a metal surround again around each marker, so there's a little reflective light catcher, you know, around each of the markers. Um, but I'm looking at the the blog to watch pictures, and I don't know. In some of the pictures, it looks like there's so much loom that there's a 3D kind of effect to it. Like you know, yeah, there's pop. one that shows like a like kind of like a three like a side view. Yes. I'm looking at it right now. And yeah, you can definitely, I mean, they look raised. It looks like applied markers. Yeah, definitely looks raised. And I, that's one of the advantages of the Pelagos because if you ever see, like, say, the dark shots or where the loom is active, it is really pronounced. It's really ridiculous amount of loom. Yes. Got it. Okay. Um. So, yeah, the day complication is gone. Um. And the... So like I was saying, the Pelagos dial, uh, the OG, is you know, a bit of a matte finish. Um, it's not exactly like a deep black, but the new black uh, Pelagos 39 kind of has satin black finish, kind of like your Black Bay GMT. Yeah. So that is one, you know, a little bit of a difference. There's also, you know, a callback to Rolex a little bit where the Pelagos now is written in red lettering. I know that's... Uh, like a cult with the Rolex Submariner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the the bezel now, like I was mentioning, it's a bit more sheen to it. It's still ceramic, but the finishing of it and, and I guess polishing of it is a bit different now. Yeah. So it's got a little bit of a jewel-like application to it. Got it. So that's the few aesthetic differences it is still titanium and on all of that but because it's a smaller size and all the water resistance is reduced to 200 meters and it does not have the helium escape valve yeah in a sense it's like the same specs as that of the pelagos fxd which was like the french navy special that came out yeah not too long ago um so i mean uh, me personally that's not a big deal like a crazy deal breaker because I'm not going to put this watch more than two meters depth rating. So, I mean, if the French Navy signed off on this, so I'm okay with that. And, but the, the, one of the other, I'd say reductions in complication or, or design features is also the bracelet. It is less sophisticated with this normal T class. So I think that's borrowed from the black Bay itself. So it doesn't have this self adjustment uh, spring loaded feature. I see. But also, you know what? It is a bit more, you know, they also throw in a rubber strap as well. So if you want to take this watch diving, just throw on the rubber strap and go. Got it. Okay. So, I mean, what do you, what's the takeaway here? What do you think? I, so I think it's lost a little bit of character of that of the original Pelagos. And it's a bit more, let's say, to me, a bit more mainstream. I think 39 is a great idea. 
And I think even just losing the date just to make it more symmetrical is also a nice feature as well. Like in a sense, less is more. But I think the the genesis of the Pelagos, the reason the Pelagos releases is that it's meant to be like the end all be all like of dive watches. It's such a great dive watch for the price point. And this is what I'm coming to because their retail price is, I believe, set to set as $4,400. So it's $325 less than that of, let's say, the bigger variant, but $500 more than that of the FXD. And the, the key thing is between that and the FXD is that it the FXD comes with, a, I guess, with like a NATO strap only yeah. and, and fixed spring bars, whereas this has the rubber strap, but also the titanium bracelet. Got it. So... Yeah. I think it's a little bit clever on Tudor because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that want a 39 millimeter Pelagos, but you're getting a Pelagos that is way less capable, even though you'll never use it, but you can still show off. But, it, you know, and it's only $325 less. So I think they priced it in a sense that they're going to reap so much money. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, a lot more people will go for the Pelagos 39. Yeah, I mean, I think the 39 is sized really well. It's more of a purist take on the dial without the without the date function, right? And I mean, I don't think it's really a step down. I mean, what is the difference? I mean, I know the Pelagos is over-engineered and, and the class was really something special and the 300 meters. But like, like you said yourself, like the dive rating is inconsequential for most people, if not all people. So like, I don't really think of it as a step down. I think it's like an iteration of that design, right? You're getting a, a bit of a smaller, more petite uh, approach to the Pelagos. I mean, to me, I always found the Pelagos a little bit daunting. I thought it was a bit big um, and I wasn't sure I could pull that off, right? But, well, I mean, to be fair, isn't the current sub at 42? Yeah. Yeah, and I and I don't know if the current sub would be something I could pull off either, you know? Um, whereas I think the 39 makes it a lot more comfortable for a lot of people. I mean, I would, I would consider it, I mean, just the thickness alone, the 12 millimeters, I think that that's awesome. I mean, that's three millimeters thinner than the, the black Bay GMT, you know? So that's yeah, something you would notice for sure. I just wanted, you know, the, one of the other bits is like, it's like the dial. I always liked the, the, the OG Pelago style and the, the intended matteness of the watch, the mat, the matte look of the watch, mm -hmm. it was something different. You know, now they're going to a bit more of a like a jewel-like aesthetic. Wait, you think the thirty-nine is more jewel-like than the way the light shines, at least based on the pictures, makes it so. I didn't get that takeaway, but that's interesting. Okay, okay. Um, so I think it's just lost a lot, little bit of that depthness to it yeah i mean i i would disagree um i think it's really really attractive i think it's very smart i think it'd be a lot it's probably a very comfortable um to try on especially because it's titanium and it's smaller um yeah no i i'm i'm more bullish sanch i'm i'm more i'm more, I'm, I'm more bearish and you know interesting and I mean, it's just my personal take. I, I think from a sales point of view, I'm very bullish. Um, but yeah, to me, I mean, like, if yeah. you wanted a, a 
39 millimeter watch um, and with the Pelagos look, just go for the FXD. I think the bezel on that looks like fantastic. The FXD is not 39 millimeters, Sanch. Oh, is it not? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's a full size. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna triple check before I before I drop a goose egg of knowledge on you, but I'm fairly sure that's just a full sized Pelagos. All right, the website's loading. Okay, got it. So watch specifications for the FXD. You're right, it's 42 case millimeters, size, 42 I'm sorry. millimeters in diameter, yeah. Okay, okay, so if you want a smaller FXD. <laughs> yeah, you, you just need to go for the 39. <laughs> There's no way around it. There's no way around it. Um, I do like the FXD a lot. I, I think we both were very positive on it, right? Um, yeah. It's really attractive. I mean, the only thing I think, the only corner that's possibly cut is that Velcro, you know, NATO strap uh thing which whatever you know yeah i mean it's the fixed spring bars i mean i that's not a deal breaker for me um but i i just think that the pricing is you know you're getting a less capable watch even though you'll never ever use it um for just a few hundred dollars less kind of like okay if i can pull off the regular pelagos i will yeah, I mean, this comes into questions of personal taste, you know. Um, for me, the 39, I think, is ideal. Um, and I think in some ways, the parallel to the Seiko uh, Captain Willard reissue versus the Captain Willard is is kind of, you know, fitting here, right? Because it's kind of like a, a more diminutive version of, of, of another famous watch. Um, so I don't know. Just I had to plug in Seiko somewhere, so I just did. Sorry. Yeah, we. I mean, I I also carry some of that responsibility because I plugged in Seiko earlier. <laughs> I don't know why we do this. We can't help it, Sanch. It, it's it's in the blood. It's in the blood. Oh okay. no, it's not in the blood. It's just that you've like locked me up in a room and with a, just a TV and and it showed nothing but Seiko ads. Just waterboarded. <laughs> waterboarded me with Seiko. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think that's good. I think the last thing we want to talk about Tudor was our watch a buying for this episode yes so the one i'm referring to is on joma shop and it's the pelagos lhd okay and it's available for four thousand two hundred fifty dollars ten percent off according to joma shop that's uh, right to be fair though the reason why i want to bring this up is that this was the you know this came out well before the Submariner Destro came out, and goodness, I don't even know how much that goes for. What, thirteen thousand? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, one third the price, but way more capable. Yeah, and to me, actually, a bit more attractive. I like it. I I like the Pelagos. I think it's kind of a unique uh, kind of take without being too derivative of a Rolex. You know, um, so I I'm I'm sold on it. You know, it's uh, just a question of which Pelagos. And I, to be honest, I, I would probably go for the 39th just from a comfort and fit sort of thing. Okay, so you would go for a 39. Now, would you go, if someone were to offer you a Pelagos 39 or a Black Bay 39, which one would you go for? I think because I got the Black Bay GMT, I would probably go for the Pelagos 39 just for variety's sake. Okay, but if you didn't have the Black Bay GMT. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
let's see. It, so we're not talking Black Bay Chronograph. We're talking just Black Bay Dive Watch, right? Yeah, just a regular Black Bay. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure because I I do like the the Black Bay 58. You know, uh, their I believe their blue one and their black and red one. Um, I think those were very attractive watches. So, um, you know, not a given that I would pick the Pelagos necessarily if I didn't have another Black Bay in the back pocket. Gotcha. You know. Well, if you wanted a Black Bay, there's a fall sale on Joma Shop for 5% <laughs> off, $35.99. Right. <laughs> I'm a little bit out of the market right now, but uh, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> you you blew it all on the Black Bay GMT. Yeah, I, think I don't I, blame you. I think, I think you made a great call. I think this year's watch budget is is a little bit uh, smaller because of that. This but, year yeah. and forever. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I I think the Black Bay GMT is, is not a hidden gem. I mean, it came out and a lot of people were really excited about it. I, I remember Hodinkee did a did a awesome video with uh, one of the guys from Granado, uh, you know, taking it to San Francisco. And, you know, that really got a lot of people excited. Um, so in no way is a hidden gem. I think Tudor as a brand is a bit of an underappreciated gem out there. I think a lot more people should be looking to Tudor um to get into rolex you know and and kind of get a feel for that um so yeah i'm glad we did i do have one question for you shoot what is your gmt hand um which time zone are you tracking so i have set the watch to basically track the current time zone and i think that's the correct way to do it because it's a it's a flyer's GMT or it's a traveler's GMT. It's like true GMT. Mm -hmm. So when let's say you're flying to San Francisco, you would take off in the plane, you'd land in San Francisco, and then you would alter the local hour hand to San Francisco time, but keep the 24 hand to New York time or Boston time. Gotcha. So that's how it's supposed to work. So when you're not traveling, your 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 hour hand and your 24 hour hand should be pointing to the same hour, if that makes sense. So you're basically tracking the same time zone that I'm also in just for the sake of getting me to prepare for any podcast episode. Basically, basically, I'm actually tracking it about uh, a, a couple weeks behind. It's actually a different... <laughs> so I think you need a Tudor episode. perpetual calendar for that then. I do, and I need to track two different dimensions to keep up with uh keep up with you all right the, the multiverse you need the tutor multiverse, multiverse. <laughs> let me get you an oculus rift the tutor app <laughs> yeah. you know what we should do we should do a podcast episode on on the multiverse on well, uh, whatever it is. i'll i'll as long as it's not the metaverse because that, that, yeah the metaverse that's it sorry that's uh yeah, sure. We I, I'd be happy to do that and then flush <laughs> it down the toilet. <laughs> yeah, not for me. But uh yeah, but actually, you know, I, I watched an interesting video on that. We should we should post it in, in the next episode's show notes. Um yeah. I've got a lot to say about the metaverse. I'll I'll, I'll just leave it. <laughs> that that's a, that that alone itself is an episode. So forget about watches. We're gonna talk about the metaverse. That's that's what it is. <laughs> All right, Sand. So let's go on to streaming goal. What do you got? What do you got to start off with? So what I'm actually 
going to talk about is a channel itself that I come across a few weeks ago, and it's called Found and Explained. And it talks about basically fighter aircraft for the most part, but it's done in the same way as, let's say, um, it's not real engineering, but like mustard, where it's yeah. mostly 3D generated animation. But yeah. it's done really well, and it's a little bit in, in in that feel of, let's say, the Mustard Channel. And I highly, highly recommend it. It's mostly military, right. but there are some, you know, uh, other, uh, I believe, some commercial sides to it as well. Cool. You know, like, yeah. for example, you know, the Sonic Cruiser, which was Boeing's answer, original answer to the Airbus A380. And, and some really cool, um, some cool aviation. And also maybe some, you know, submarines and tanks and stuff, but mostly standard around aviation. Highly recommend. Very cool. I'll 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 check it out. Uh, that's right up my alley. Um, and speaking about aviation, um, there's a channel called uh, I'll I'll get it right now. It's called Paper Skies, and it's, he's actually a, a gentleman of a Ukrainian background. His father was a Soviet Air Force pilot. And, you know, he, he does a lot of stuff on Soviet aircraft, MiG, Sukhoi, that sort of thing. Um, and he released one episode recently called The Complete Story of the Soviet Top Gun Program. So, you know, Top Gun, obviously, we all know it's a U.S. Navy uh, fighter weapons and tactics program uh, to kind of get uh, fighter pilots, you know, American fighter pilots up to snuff. Um, because, you know, American fighter pilots during the Vietnam War uh, didn't have a very good attrition rate or an unacceptable attrition rate against the enemy. Um, so really it was to get them back to get those skills to, you know, dogfight and to, and to get close and, and, you know, and, and really take it to take it to the opposition and not. I think they, did they start the program? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they started the program when they saw the attrition rate during the beginning of the war, but by the end of the war, they saw the the benefits of the program, right? It, it did improve. I'm not exactly sure which year the program was launched. I, I do know it was during the Vietnam War. And if you watch the Soviet Top Gun video, it's really interesting because the Soviets were in the same boat as the Americans, even though they didn't know it. Uh, whereas the Americans learned that, that lesson in Vietnam that, hey, we're over-reliant on technology and specifically missiles, right? And, and we need to teach the pilots to really dogfight again and get in there and get aggressive and, and maneuver. Um, the Soviets, when they saw what was happening to the American pilots, realized that it applied to them as well. And they learned that really um, in the Middle East, because in the 1970s, the Soviets secretly sent pilots um, to fly in Egypt against the Israelis. And the Israelis, I, I think in more than one incident, shot down and killed a number of Soviet pilots. And the Soviets were really, really kind of like perplexed and being like, whoa, how did that happen? So they understood that they had the same issue as the Americans, that, you know, there was an over-reliance on missiles and firing at a distance that you need to maneuver again. So then they set up basically their version of Top Gun. Um, it was for the Soviet Air Force. They set it up in a place called Mari in Turkmenistan, um, desert conditions. So really, you know, really wanted to replicate what had happened in Egypt and kind of get that get that experience going. And the Turkmenistan uh, base would have basically their own version of the Top Gun instructors. And those guys would, you know, squadrons all over the Soviet Union would actually be circulated or rotate into Turkmenistan to fly against these guys. 
and the the instructors in their Top Gun program would grade these guys and basically say this squadron's good, this squadron's not good. Uh, you know, these guys need a leadership change, um, and they would develop tactics. Um, so it, it's really really interesting how, even though it's a completely different country, obviously the other side of the Cold War they had similar problems and also took a similar approach to deal with it. Um, so it's a really interesting video. It's, it's about, you know, I'll put the, I'll put the, the link in the show notes, but it, you know, the Soviets had their own top gun, which is really fascinating. Awesome. Yeah. And to listeners out there, if you haven't seen top gun Maverick, please do so. I'm, I'm there. I haven't seen it yet. Um, it's on the list. I'll just leave it at that. Wait, wait, you haven't seen top gun Maverick? No, nah, man. No, nah, I haven't seen it. It's okay. Down the Here, okay. We'll need to do some, I'll need to do some offline berating. <laughs> I just, well, you know, my wife has never seen Top Gun one. So I just got it on Blu-ray. Uh, we're going to watch Top Gun one. And then uh, the next day rent Top Gun Maverick. So that's the plan. No, you need to go and watch it in IMAX. Yeah, it might be a bit late for that. I don't know. I don't know if you know how movies work, but <laughs> it's been a couple know, I, months. I, since I, I don't know if it's still strong at the box office or not, but it's been going on and staying. It's, it's pretty. Actually, I'm quite curious. Um, but yeah, I mean, once in a while, I check boxofficemojo.com, which is uh, you know. No, no, I mean, like, the question is: Is there anything playing close to you in, in the theaters? Uh, probably. Interesting. Okay, I'll have to take a look. I'll see if I can find it. Here you are berating me about podcast notes, and I'm finding out now you haven't seen Top Gun Maverick. I thought you'd be the first in line. Listen, man, there's a lot going on in my life right now. <laughs> Off the record, I don't have time to drop everything and go watch a Tom Cruise movie. All right, sometimes you gotta. But you would drop everything for a Harrison Ford movie, all right? Yeah, well, yeah. If he was, if he was Top Gun, if he was Maverick, yeah, I'd be there, sure. <laughs> All right, Sanj, what do you got last for streaming gold? So the last thing I'm going to talk about is the Corvette Z06, the C8. It just got released this week. And I think there was an embargo on the reviews, whether it's um, through, you know, whether it's digital reading or, or video. But there's a great review by Savage Geese that talks about like the real depths of uh, it gives a highlight of the depths of engineering that went into the car and it's a fantastic video it's almost an hour long but you will not re- you'll, you'll not be bored i i guarantee you great um, I'm looking forward to and, that yeah. you know this is a fantastic car it's like a proper it's a proper american um supercar in the sense that it it's 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 already a future classic it's incredible Got it. All right. Uh, the engine cool. is the party piece, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll have to check that out. I'm, I'm into it. Um, but right. you make sure you go watch Top Gun Maverick first before you come to this. All right. It's on the list, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, closing notes I've got one uh, article. It's actually a couple years old. It's an auction report from 2018 for a Rolex GMT Master 1675. Um, from the Vietnam War, and it was it was basically a Dutch soldier who was fighting in the Australian Army, so a bit complicated. But he was being rotated into Vietnam in 1969, and before he before he got into action, he bought himself a Rolex GMT Master, 
put it, uh, you know, carved his initials on the watch and put it on a, on a, on a fabric strap and went into action. And, uh, you know, it was up for sale a couple of years ago in, in Amsterdam, but it's an incredible story about the watch and kind of, you know, oh, you know, his experience with it. Um, and it's really interesting to see, you know, kind of a piece of history and, you know, obviously, you know, in some ways the Black Bay GMT is a callback to these classic, you know, Rolex GMT masters from back then. Um, and you can kind of see the inspiration kind of, you know, in its natural place. So uh, it's, it's a pretty cool article, you know, give it a read. I'll yeah, no, I, I would agree. And actually, Tommy, I, I would actually like just looking at the strap. I think you should get a strap like that for your Black Bay GMT. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's pretty interesting how many Rolex, uh, you know, Submariners and GMTs are actively used in, by the military, especially, in, you know, in the Vietnam War, you know, era it wouldn't be out of place to see a Seiko next to a Rolex, you know, um, they were both kind of used by servicemen. Um, obviously there's a price difference, but, uh, you know, not the first time I've seen a GMT master in, in, in Vietnam, in the Vietnam war setting, um, which is I mean, fascinating, you know, to be fair, to be fair, like, you know, back then, yes, Rolex were pricey, but they were not at the same level as they are today's standard in agreed i mean according to the article this was about a month's worth of pay to get the gmt master month salary um which if you're making what costs a Rolex gmt master today uh in a month you know salute you're, you're doing really well for yourself yeah exactly <laughs> um, but i think it's also a kind of a a way of you know I don't think Rolex ever expected a watch to be sent into battle, especially a watch of the Rolex GMT Master level. And, you know, you hear about these watches, you know, like a Seiko Pogue that went into space. It's kind of cool to see watches being used outside of their intended application, but being tried and tested and surviving the, the situation it's thrown into. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure that's necessarily true because Rolex did have a service history, right? I mean, even in the in the Second World War, you know, Rolexes were issued to officers, so they have kind of a military uh, background, you know. They're, no, they're, I, I agree, but like yeah. the Rolex GMT Master was not intended for military purposes. Yeah, I mean, right? yeah, it was for Pan Am pilots. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It's, and and and. It's, you know, someone took it and repurposed it for a different reason. Yeah. I mean, if you en engineer it right, I mean, you can definitely, you know, still make it work, you know? So I think, uh, I think that's, that speaks to Rolex's kind of engineering back then, you know? Yep. All right. Well, this was an action packed episode and for once, not about Seiko. So you should be very proud of yourself, Sanch. But yeah, but we still somehow talked about Seiko. So. <laughs> <laughs> no way around it. There's no way around it. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Land Jam podcast. Obviously, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter. Give us an, an, an Apple podcast review, please. It really helps other people find the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, and Sanj and I can't share what we're working on next, but we've got a really special episode coming up um, in a week or two. So stay tuned for that. Uh, until next time. Thank you. Thank you.